Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Luke is where we're going to be first, then find Romans chapter 5 and put your finger right in there because that's where we're going to be working both of those places today. So I'm, I, I, I'm really excited to be moving into the New Testament. I don't know about you, but our work through the Old Testament and from, the, from creation to the fall until Malachi last week, uh, it's, it kind of creates a sense of desperation in, in us, you know, like... Uh, the Israelites who saw God, who saw the manif- just awesome manifestations of God in the desert and uh, who uh, saw God give them great victories and the sun stood still and all of this and, and still they find it very hard to, well, impossible actually to follow the Lord and, and, uh, and, be, and live in obedience to his perfect will. And so we get to the, you know, it can be kind of exhausting actually. And I, to be honest with you, that's the that's the point. That's the purpose. The Old Testament is the law, and it brings to light our sin. Uh, have you ever, uh, like, we're from South Texas, and we have a terrible dust problem in South Texas. Uh, uh, it's a dusty place, and if you have the curtains drawn and you fling them open instantly, the the sun hits the room, and inside the room is just full of dust. I mean, right after you clean uh, and the dust fills the air, and you can see it. Why? Because the light exposes it. That's what the law does to our sin. It exposes it. It makes it visible, and in some ways, it kind of disgusts us, all right? Now we move into the New Testament, and we see the hope and promise of Jesus Christ. We see the promise of all the Old Testament fulfilled in the birth of Jesus and his death and resurrection, and so, yeah, I'm excited. Now, the idea of original sin, the fall, uh, is confusing to a lot of people, and, uh, and rightfully so. Why would God hold us guilty for the sin of Adam, our ancient ancestor? Why would that, why, how does that make sense? How is that just? And the truth about original sin isn't that we're held accountable for Adam eating of the fruit and Eve eating of the fruit of the tree that they were forbidden to eat of, but that each one of us has sinned, right? I mean, nobody in this room is going to confess that they have never sinned. Uh, it's just we know that we are sinners, and we have inherited a nature from our forefathers that is broken and bent towards sin. But we deserve the penalty for sin, as Jordan illustrated as we receive communion. And Satan's plan in the garden was to entice Adam and Eve through temptation to separate themselves from God in sin, as he had done, right? He knows he can't win. How many of you know the end of the book? Right? Do you think Satan doesn't know the end of the book? He knows too. But at the same time, he knows he can't win, so he's going to try to hurt the heart of God. The best way to hurt the heart of God is to hurt the ones he loves, us, right? And so he knows how to do that. Our enemy doesn't make us sin. I'm not the preacher who thinks the devil is under every rock, right? That There's a demon behind everyone who sins. Actually, I, I know for myself that I go willingly. That temptation comes in and I decide to, to, to indulge it. I decide to move forward in it. I decide to sin. 
Now, the enemy, he can tempt us. There's no doubt about that, and he's adept at it. And I thought this week about how many years and years of practice our enemy, with one single purpose, has prepared to tempt us, to distract us, to take us away from God. And I think about how much time we invest in being close to God. And I see the contrast there, how our enemy for thousands of years has been perfecting his one hobby to lure us away from God and how vigilant we ought to be in order to combat that, right? I mean, there's, he has tons of tricks and tools over years and years of, of, of corrupting and uh, tempting people. Now, Satan was very successful in tempting the first Adam, right? The Adam of the garden. However, he was very unsuccessful in tempting the second Adam, Jesus, in the desert. Jesus was born to overcome what the first Adam brought into the world through his, trans- his transgression. Jesus is referred to as the second Adam, and uh, he came to set it all right. Look with me in Luke chapter 3, verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son of as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli. Now, skip down with me to 38, okay? Because what we have here is the lineage of Jesus. We're not going to go through all of it. The son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So we see here the, that Jesus' ancestry is traced through the generations back to Adam. Now, go to Romans 5, 12, and 15. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all had sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. What we see here is that though sin entered through one man, sin was defeated through one man, that is Jesus Christ. Sin was defeated by Jesus. Sin was not created by God. There's, a, there's an argument um, of, I think a very valid one, actually, in regards to um, where sin came from. Some would say that sin entered through Adam and his free will. Some would argue that sin entered the world as a way for, Jesus, for God to cull people who would be going to heaven and some who would be going to hell. But we know that sin did, was not created by God. It wasn't part of creation. Sin entered after God said everything was very good. In Genesis 1:31, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was later that man and woman sinned against God. God created man in his own image to enjoy his blessing and his provision and fellowship. However, through the temptation of Adam and Eve, sin brought destruction and death. All physical sickness and eventual death is a result of the fall. Now, hear, don't hear what I'm not saying here, okay? This is, that's a saying I got from Greg Saylors. I really like that saying. 
but uh, I'm not saying that because you're sick, you've sinned. I'm saying all sickness and all death is a result of the fall. There was no sickness. There was no death before the fall. It came after, okay? All the, you know, the coronavirus, right? It's from the fall, okay? It's from the fall. Sickness entered as a result of the fall. Spiritual death. So as a result of the fall, we have spiritual death and, and uh, physical death. And spiritual death is the eternal loss of fellowship with God. And we don't talk about hell a lot, right, especially in the contemporary church. Talking about hell, even talking about sin, is a pretty unpopular subject because it asserts a couple of things. Number one, that there's absolute truth, which is not a very popular thing to talk about today, is that there actually is a right and wrong and that it, there is a standard and it's not subjective to the wiles of our hearts, right? Because how many of you know things change? I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to see a transition in our culture over the last you know, almost half a century I've been alive. Oh, my. Yeah, yikes. Who said yikes? My daughter. No. Somebody who's old enough to be my daughter, which is crazy to me, right? But you think about just the transition that we've seen. And I mean, I remember I was talking with, like, when Internet was this series of beeps, blips, and sounds, and it took several minutes for it to come up, and then you had magical words that said, you've got mail, right? And it was, it was America Online, and it cost like 40 bucks a month for like one megabyte of, of data, and you would just be like, and now what, how is email treated? As a nuisance, right? It's an absolute nuisance. I know because none of you read the emails I send, Okay. But just the changes that have happened culturally, what, is, what was once forbidden has now become totally acceptable. And uh, this, this trend is just continuing. But it doesn't mean that there, just because people, our culture bucks against it doesn't mean it's not true, that there is an absolute truth. There is absolute truth. There is a real place called heaven. There is a real place called hell and those who are not found in Christ at the time of their death will be judged according to their own righteousness the punishment that awaits unbelievers is eternal never ending suffering that comes from sins committed against an infinite god and i don't know about you but my interactions with the unbel- with the unbeliever is is this i i'm a good person i do more good than bad what these people are saying is i'm ready to face a holy god in my own righteousness. If they only knew the standard, if they only knew the law, amen? And again, I've talked about this many times, but that's why when you confront people like this with the gospel, when you're going to share the gospel with them, it's important that people who give you answers like this are confronted by the law, because as we just read, what's the law do? Exposes sin. See, these people don't think that they're sinners. This is the problem. The sickness They don't want the cure because they don't think they're sick. So they need the law to make sure that they know that they are sick and that they need a healer. The good news is Jesus came to rescue his creation from their self-destruction. We needed a new Adam, one that would not give in to temptation and sin against God. And Jesus became the perfect vessel to carry our sins and satisfy the wrath of God. Make no mistake, as Jordan said during communion, Jesus did suffer the wrath of God. Wrath that is justified as punishment for our willing disobedience against our holy creator. 
We deserve the punishment. Jesus became the perfect sacrifice and vessel to deliver and heal us. Amen. Romans 5, 16 and 17 says this, The free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What this verse is saying is that Jesus makes the dead alive. The Jesus makes the dead alive. We may not all experience physical resurrection of our dead bodies, but make no mistake, we were lost and now we're found. We were dead, now we are alive. And through Christ, we are justified. What does that word mean? That is actually a theological term, and it's not interchangeable with the word sanctified. Justified actually means we are once and for all declared righteous through Jesus Christ. It is finished. We are righteous. Now, that declaration is one thing. That's how God sees us, as righteous. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus not only took our sins and the wrath of God for our sins, but he extended to us his righteousness. And because of that, we are seen as righteous in the eyes of God. But through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, we are being sanctified. That means that we are becoming more like Christ. We are being transformed or renewed in our minds and in our hearts, right? We are becoming more like Christ. Some people buck against Christianity because they would say you're all the same. And there's this thing, this rebellion in a lot of some Christians' hearts that I am an individual, And while that is true, and Jesus didn't die on the cross to take away your individuality, the truth is we all have but one Christ, one Savior, one person who we are trying to model our lives after. So should we look a little bit alike? Yes. Yes, we should resemble one another in Christ. It doesn't mean we all dress the same, right? It doesn't mean that all the ladies don't wear makeup. It doesn't mean that all the, you know, that all the guys wear suits. It doesn't mean all those things. It, It means that we all look like Christ, right? It's an inward transformation. Sometimes it's easy. It's the easy thing is for us to focus on the outward because we can see it. And so I think a lot of people miss the mark in that they focus on outward appearance instead of inward, the inward work of the Holy Spirit through sanctification. So sanctification is a process. You're not saved and instantly sanctified. You are justified You are righteous, but you are not instantly sanctified. How many of you know Christians still sin? Okay, good. I'm I'm glad we understand that. But God gives us both justification and sanctification to anyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. Okay, that process starts, that declaration happens. And through the work of those, uh, the work of Christ, those who are in him have been transferred to him. It's like being traded, okay? It's like switching teams completely. Our sin was imputed to us, excuse me, our sin was imputed to him, his righteousness imputed to us. It's the doctrine of imputation, okay? So it's the great exchange. It's what we've already talked about. Our sin on him, his righteousness upon us. When God looks at the believer, he no longer sees their sins. He sees the righteousness that Christ has extended to them. Warren Worsby said it like this, a great, he just died last year, a great theologian and teacher and preacher, he said this, when God looks upon the human race, he sees two men, 
Adam and Christ. Every human being is either in Adam and lost or in Christ and saved. There is no middle ground. When God looks upon the human race, he sees but two men. He sees people who are either in Christ and saved or those who are in Adam and lost. Church, Jesus makes the dead alive. What is impossible, what was impossible through the entire Old Testament, what we saw through generations in the Old Testament, the impossibility of, of, of living a perfect, holy life, the standard that God has set for us, we see it fulfilled in Jesus Christ and, by, and, and vicariously extended to us, right? It goes on to say in Romans 5.18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many were made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespasses, just like we talked earlier. It exposes the sin. But where sin increased, increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What's that mean? As we, once we're saved, once we become born again, once we put our trust in Jesus and we're on that other side, right? We have, we're, we're on the other team now. And we look back. What, what, what this is saying is that the law that the awareness, the, the grossness of our sin and our unrighteousness is exposed because of the law. We, I mean, it was only after I became a Christian and put my, my trust in Christ that I understood what a sinner I was, how lost I was. Because before that, I thought I was, everything was cool, right? I was like one of these people. Well, I do a lot of good things. I try to, you know, I, I'm, I'm better. I do more good than bad, which still wasn't true, all right? But I told myself that. But Jesus not only makes the dead alive, he makes sinners righteous. Like a cancer, sin has brought sickness and death to all human beings, and I think cancer is a really apt description of it because what cancer is is it's a it's a it's a malign cell, right? It kind of looks like a cell, it kind of functions like one, but it reproduces other malign cells, and cancer spreads. And because of these malign sickness, this these cells that are destructive, the healthy cells start to die. Sickness was this sickness, this cancer was brought on by patient zero the first Adam. And it seemed that throughout the entire Old Testament, it was totally incurable. But through Jesus, we have the cure for sin, not just pain management. Do you understand the difference that, that Jesus didn't just come to give us pain management, he came to bring the cure. Sometimes we treat Christianity, we treat our relationship with Christ like a morphine drip, right? That it's just, this relationship, this church thing, this Christianity thing is just enough to get us through life. But our lives are still pretty miserable. We're pr still pretty sad. We're still pretty cynical. We still don't find joy in everyday blessing and provision and the fellowship that, that Jesus came to give us today. You know, uh, 
it, it really is the best right now. It is, it, 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 we don't have to wait. Now, is it going to be perfected when we meet Jesus? Yes. But there should be a transformation that ha- ha- happens in the believer's life. Somebody should know you're a Christian. Somebody should know that a transformation has taken place in your life. And if you transferred here or you came here, changed, then that might be hard to see, right? But there should still be a distinction between you and the rest of the world. It should be physically notable. A lot of people like to quote, uh, uh, misquote St. Francis of Assisi, who says, um, share the gospel always, if necessary, use words. Number one, that quote was never, it, he never said that. It's really attributed to him, but it's also pretty anti-scriptural, that quote, which is why he would never have said that. Because the Bible says that people come to faith through hearing, hearing the message of Jesus Christ, hearing the gospel message. And so it is one thing to live it. People should notice it. The fruit of your faith is lived out in your life. So there is an outward fruit that is born. But we must, we must live as Jesus has called us to live. This is the thing, transformed, right? I would say to live a sanctified life is to live a transformed life. I have a professor, a teacher, a mentor in our lives who is always asking, are you reacting to this situation in a transformed way, a sanctified way? Is this the new mat or is this the old mat? You know, yeah, ouch, you're right. We need Mordecai's, right? We need people in our lives who will speak into our lives like that. We are declared righteous through justification. I want you to know today, if you've put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous before God. If you were to meet the Lord this moment, you would stand before him declared righteous. Do you understand that? Declared righteous. But sanctification must still have its way in our lives, right? The process of being more and more like Jesus Christ. The joy of it all is when we fail, we don't beat ourselves up. We don't live in guilt. We repent. We turn away from our sin and we try again. We try again. Our salvation is not dependent on our own effort, It's not our, we get so consumed in the church with our own whiteness, our own purity. I could, I'll, one day I'll be used by God once I reach this standard, once I make it to this place. And as you grow in Christ, you understand that you are never going to reach the place where you are, where you feel worthy because you're not worthy. It's grace. It's grace, and we each have our own role, role to fill. My role in this moment, this morning, and in this time is to be your pastor. But there are others who are called to other things, and we are only called to be faithful where he has called us to be, right? That's where we're going to be held accountable, where he's called us to be. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 4.16, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, that is our physical body, as I said, I'm almost 50, so, you know, you feel it. Our inner self is being renewed day by day, that we are growing in Christ. Every day is an opportunity. Every single day is an opportunity to experience more of Christ through surrendering who we once were and taking up who we're called to be. Surrendering who we once were and taking up who we're called to be. A favorite quote from an old 
leader uh, of mine and superintendent of South Texas who is, is, would always say, I mean, if there was one quote always attributed to Brother Granberry, it was this, I may not be who I ought to be, but praise God, I'm not who I was. I'm not who I ought to be, but praise God, I'm not who I was. Church, you're declared righteous. Today, you are righteous before a holy God. Something that was impossible throughout the entirety of the Old Testament is now yours. Why does, why does the New Testament attribute to the saints of today that more things will be accomplished than ever before? Why? Because we stand righteous before a holy God. We are set free from that judgment, from that condemnation. We're, not, we're no longer under it. We're not trying to earn salvation. But day by day, we're being conformed to the likeness and image of Christ that we may glorify God. Why? Jesus glorified God. He glorified God. Everything he did was to the honor and glory of his Father. And as we look more like Jesus, we will naturally bring more honor and more glory to God. It is a natural thing. It is a natural thing. You can't fight it. I think people work really hard, actually, at work and in their community, faking, faking their life. You know, you're a Christian. You're a blood-bought child of God. I, and we were talking in the men's group last week, and, and at some, one of the men was commenting that he just got sick of that. And just now it's just like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm, I, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe in creation. And he doesn't care. It's like, who cares if they think it's silly? Who cares if they laugh at him? He just got sick of living the lie. And we hide who we are instead of, you know, What's the Bible say that that a city on a hill cannot uh, be hidden? You know that a light is not lit so it can be put under a bushel, right? It's it's lit so it will shine. Has God lit your fire? Has he has he stirred something in you that wasn't there before? Share the gospel. The title of today's message, which I haven't alluded to since the very beginning, is designed to remind you of who you belong to. And who you worship. Not today, Satan. I think about the day Jesus was born. Think about the day he began his ministry. I think about the day that he was defeated in the desert by Jesus. Not today, Satan. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf, we can say to the deceiver around every corner, not today, Satan. When temptation comes, when doubt creeps in, when attacks come, we can say, not today, Satan. Maybe our forefathers failed in the garden, but through Christ, we can have victory. Amen. We have victory. Excuse me. Not today, Satan. So I would ask you two questions. Number one, where are you today? Are you in Adam? Are you in Christ? Will you stand before a holy, righteous God in your own righteousness, or will you stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ? I want to tell you that if that doesn't scare the ever-living pudding out of you, you are in the wrong place. To stand before a holy, righteous God after going through the entire Old Testament together, knowing what his standards are, knowing that even Moses could not enter the promised land for what we would consider a slight disobedience. Knowing that that is enough to keep him out of the promised land, knowing that, that we are sinners and that we cannot atone, we cannot, we cannot offer sacrifices for our sin great enough to cover over them, but only Jesus. 
do you, it, it's just, just it's a, it's a, it's a fear that is meant to lead us to repentance. It's not, it's not a fear that's meant to lead us to desperation. To despair is to give up on God, right? To despair is to give up on God. It's, it's, it is there. The Old Testament, the, 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 the weight of sin is there to help us see the cross of Christ, to see that our salvation is in Jesus. For those who have already made that decision, for those who, of you who are in Christ and understand that one day you will see God and you will stand in Christ's righteousness, I would ask you this, how are you living today? Does your life reflect what it means to be a child of Christ? Are you living every day in a transformed or sanctified way? Romans 12.12 says this, don't be conformed to this world. Church, if there's, a greater me- there's no greater message for the church today, I don't think, in this. Do not be conformed to the world. We are called every day to stand in opposition to the world, not be conformed to it. It doesn't mean we make ourselves the butt of every joke. It doesn't mean we make ourselves of en- the enemy in every other cubicle. What it means is that we do believe in right and wrong, that we believe in truth and false, that we believe the gospel is truth and the narrative of this world is false, and we are, st- we are called upon to confront that narrative. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, it continues to say, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you might be able to discern what is the will of God. What does that mean? That the Bible tells us what truth is, and by knowing the truth, we can discern what the lie is. Do you understand? What, we can, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Are you living for Christ? Is your life reflective of, some, uh, of someone who has been uh, justified through Christ's death and resurrection and is being sanctified day by day. We should be looking more and more like Christ every day. I am thankful that my preaching is better than it was 25 years ago, that I am more like Christ than I was 25 years ago. I have served Christ now longer than I had not served Christ, and I'm not the same Christian I was, you know. But every time I have experienced a victory in Christ, I also face new challenges. Somebody please say amen. I don't want to feel alone in that. You know, the more we understand about the Bible, the more we follow Christ, we might lick something in our life. We might beat it. We might not come into our lives, but there's always something else, isn't there? There's always another temptation. Remember, our enemy has been at work for a long, long time, and he does not, he, he's not going to give up, right? He's got nothing else to do. He's got nothing else to do but try to hurt the heart of God by luring you away. Stay in Christ. Live in that, in that truth that you are declared righteous before a holy God because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Amen? Not today, Satan. I'm not going to let you lie to me. I'm not going to let you take my joy. I'm not going to let you rob and steal what Christ has freely given to me. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.